What's up, South Bay Church? I want to welcome you today to the continuation of our bold message series. Over the last few weeks here at South Bay, we've been looking at the lives of many of the early followers of Christ and the kind of boldness that infused their lives. We said in the first week that boldness is faith or it's action born out of belief. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. And what we said in that first week was that the boldness the early followers of Christ had came as a direct result of their having witnessed Christ's resurrection from the dead. That kind of boldness that they experienced resulted in them looking at the same people that crucified Christ when they were on trial for their life and say, you are the guys that murdered Jesus. And they looked back at these, these men who just said it, and they said, these disciples are crazy. They're out of their minds. They said, these are ordinary people, but they've been with Jesus. They were amazed by their boldness. And then last week we talked about how God desires for us to pray bold prayers, that as a part of our faith in his capacity and his ability, that we should come to him and pray to him, trusting that he's able to do great miracles on our behalf. And the early church prayed those prayers, and God blessed and answered those prayers. And now today we're going to talk about the concept of bold generosity. And one of my pastor friends said, every time you talk about money, people get a little bit funny. And it always feels like a fight for me the week leading up to a message that I'm going to be talking about the issue of generosity. I feel like I'm warring with my words to get them exactly the way that they need to be in order to impact, for God to take them and transfer them into our hearts and challenge us to live as he would ask us to live. And today, to top it all off, on the way to church, I went out into my garage to open the door to get into our minivan, and instead of opening smoothly, the door to the minivan jarred open into my face and punched me right on my cheek, and you can see it if you zoom in close with the camera. In fact, it keeps getting worse throughout the course of the day, and I did not want anybody to believe that my wife Stacy beats me, so I figured I should tell you <laughs> that story. All joking aside, this subject of generosity it is one that is directly connected and correlates to our hearts. And the main idea I want to talk about today is this, that generosity is a catalyst to the work of God in and through our lives. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. That generosity is a catalyst to the work of God in and through our lives. The flip side of this is also true, that greed literally can kill the work of God in and through our lives. And there is something specific that God wants to do in our hearts and through our lives with the subject of generosity. And I believe with all my heart, one day I will stand and you will stand and we will stand before God to give an account for the lives that we live. For what we did with the time and the talents and treasures that he placed in our hands. And at the end of our lives, there will be a direct connection between the generosity of our hearts and the fruitfulness of our lives. That when we take what is in our hands and we place it in God's hands, he's able to then take it and multiply it and do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we could ask or imagine according to his power to extend his love to planet earth. And today, to help us understand that and grasp that truth, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And I'd like to invite you to stand with me as a way of honoring the word of God found in Acts Chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. And this 
is the passage we've been journeying through the last several weeks. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had, a foreign concept to us in the 21st century with our individualistic mindsets here in North America. We had, with, with great power, excuse me, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all, for there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and its capacity and power, the ability of your word to shape and change our lives the way that we see you. I pray, God, that you would let this truth change the way that we interact with you as it relates to generosity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I just love, when you look at a passage of Scripture like this, the unity that was evident in the church. The Scripture says that these men and women were one in heart and mind. They were unified around this mission of getting God's love to the ends of the earth. The mission was so clear that they were laying their lives down. They were contributing their goods. They were doing whatever it took in order to see this mission fulfilled. And at the end of that verse, in verse number 32, the scripture says that these men shared and women shared everything that they had with one another. It's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around what it might look like for us to be the kind of people that would be so generous that everything that we have we would share with one another. But their vertical understanding of God influenced their horizontal generosity. See, they believed that Christ had been crucified. And if he had been crucified and resurrected from the dead... And if he had paid for their sins and forgiven their past and given them a new life and deposited his Holy Spirit into them, then everything they had belonged to him. Their shirts, their clothes, their cars, their money, everything was God's. It wasn't just about a certain percentage of money. In fact, when Jesus came on the scene just a couple years before that, Many of the religious leaders believe that you could just like give a certain percentage of your income to God and perform your religious duties, and it was over. And now in the New Testament, there's a new concept. It's not like a certain percentage of my life belongs to God or one slice of the pie is His. It's all His. Everything I have, everything I own belongs to the one who gave His life for me, who laid down His life so that I could be free and be forgiven. And there's this statement at the end of that verse that says they shared everything that they had. And I, I was just thinking about my life. When was I close to that? When, when did I live and experience that the most? And the time when it was most real to me was when I was in college. In fact, if any of you went away to college, you know how college roommates share just about everything. There were five of us sandwiched in two rooms. There wasn't very much space and clothes and books and plates and Anything you can imagine got thrown everywhere, and the only way to get an outfit on was to walk through the room looking for a pair of underwear and a pair of pants and some socks, and if you're anything like me, you did what I did. I did the, 
sniff tests. And if it smells good enough to put on, you put it on and you go to class. If it smells bad, you throw it back to the ground and clothes would pile. What was more comical than this, though, was the way that we would share, uh, the way that we would share utensils and plates and napkins and bowls and everything. I mean, it was just unbelievable. There was a myriad of, of things that had been collected in our room from the cafeteria. There were multiple plates, m- multiple bowls, multiple coffee mugs, but there was one spoon. And many times you would hear the phrase, as one guy was eating ramen noodles, where's the spoon? And then another guy was stirring coffee, where's the spoon? This one spoon was distributed. We gave everything that we had to one another Now, I think that the Bible is talking about something beyond this, the kind of generosity that the early disciples lived with, that everything they had belonged to those who were in need. And I love verse number 33 that says this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. You see the connection of the hand of God upon their lives, that there was much grace and great power, that God was taking his kingdom. He was building his church and expanding it exponentially, and it was directly correlated and connected to the generosity of his disciples. They were willing to lay down their lives, their goods, their stuff. God took that which they laid down and multiplied it to bless many people. And I love the way that the passage concludes. It says, For from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and distributed it to anyone as they had need. And I was thinking, what would it be like in the 21st century if we actually lived like this? And then I started thinking, you know, for the majority of us, when it came time to sell our houses or our cars to put the money at the distribution of God so that it can be used to bless many people, we would still actually owe money to the bank or to the car dealership because we're so far in over our heads that we're unable to be generous the way that God desires for us to live generously. And maybe even today for you, a next step out of our time together might be to get connected into our financial peace life group where we'll walk through how you can get your finances in order, create a budget, and then move to a greater life of generosity that God desires for you. But what I love in this passage is how God so evidently was at work through the generosity of his people, and their generosity was connected to the movement of his hand throughout planet earth. And I've seen this time and time and time again in my own life. In fact, a couple weeks ago, it was the beginning of September, and the Thursday night I'd gone out on a date night with my wife Stacy, and we have just experienced tons of car problems this year. In fact, I think our cars have been in the shop like six or seven times throughout the course of 2012. So we just totally have tapped that line item in our budget. And it's like so far in the red that there's no way of recovering on it anyways. But on Thursday night, we were on our way home from our date night and our minivan starts acting up and we were able to pull it over to the side of the road uh, after we got off of 880, park it on Hostetter and just start walking home up Hostetter about three miles to our house. We called a couple of friends. Finally, we got in touch with one who was going to come pick us up as we were about halfway home. And we, we were just like 
laughing so hard how romantic of a moment this was as we were walking up Hostetter with our car broken down on the side of the road and laughing about all the things that we actually do have to be grateful for. We were like, we're glad it's not raining outside. We're glad that we have feet. We're glad that only one mile of our walk home is through an area of town that's not lit up and we don't know if someone will peek around a tree and take everything that we have. We're grateful for how good God has been to us. The next day I was going with my boys to what we call boys club on Saturday morning and I was discouraged because the car had broken down and then I should say two days later I had to go get the car fixed. It's like four or five hundred dollars later and I'm just complaining. You ever do one of these complaints with God? You're just like going back and forth. God, you know how hard I'm working, how hard I'm trying and you're just not you're just not taking care of it the way I, I, I thought you would. God, my car keeps breaking down and I'm just feeling really discouraged. And so we go to Panera Bread with the boys. And there's a gal or lady there who had recently gotten baptized at South Bay. Whenever I'm like on a date night or with my kids, I'm always wondering like if I see somebody from South Bay, how long the conversation is going to go. You know what I'm saying? This is like a clue. If I ever see you out in public on a date night with my wife, I'm there to date her. So, um, <laughs> so this lady comes up actually with a great smile on her face. And she's like, hi, Pastor. How are you? And I'm like, hey, how are you? And she goes, what are you guys doing here? And I'm like, well, I'm with my boys hanging out. We're going to be having some breakfast together. And she goes, oh, 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 let me buy your breakfast. And I'm like, no, I'll get my breakfast. It's fine. And she's like, no, 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 no. I insist. And then she starts asking my kids, which I'm in trouble then. She's like, what do you want? You want a sandwich? You want a cookie? You want an apple? You want a bagel? What do you want? I'll get it for you. So finally, we landed on a, a bagel for me and a cookie for the kids, clarifying, and and then I ordered the bagel, and the lady looks at the woman behind the cash register, and she's like, no, not one bagel, a dozen bagels. You want a dozen bagels. I know you want a dozen bagels. He wants cream cheese, too. And then $20 later, she slaps down her money on the counter and pays for our breakfast. And it may seem like such a trivial, small thing for you, but it was a big deal for me in my heart. Not because of the amount of money, but because I had just been lamenting and complaining before God. And it was as if God just said to me, Andy, I'm with you. I love you. I'm capable of providing for you in random ways like somebody sitting in Panera when you walk up with your kids. I am a faithful provider. And in that moment, that woman became a link. She was a connection to the ministry that God wanted to do in my heart. Her generosity was used by God to make a difference in my life. God is constantly giving us opportunities to make a difference and make an impact. And when I relinquish control of what's in my hands to God's hands, he then can multiply it and use it to establish his kingdom. And if we want to see the kind of fruitfulness and the kind of results that they saw in the book of Acts, there has to be the same kind of prayer, number one, that they prayed in faith, number two. But there also needs to be this kind of generosity that it is an overflow out of our lives that we are trusting God and we're placing what's in our hands back into his hands. And the flip side of this is true as well. The generosity in our lives, God uses it. He catalyzes his work through it. But greed kills the work of God in and through our lives. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, the story would go on. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I'm going to tell it to you. Ananias and Sapphira, this couple got on the bandwagon of selling their property and giving the proceeds away. And so they decided to sell a piece of property. After selling that piece of property, they decided that they were going to keep a portion of it for themselves. 
So Ananias, the husband, comes in to meet with several of the apostles to give the money back to them. And the scripture says that he withheld a part of it and lied to them and to God. Now, you would think withholding a part of the money is not that big of a deal, but it's the condition of his heart that mattered. It's the fact that he was lying to the apostles and to God. Scripture says in one moment the apostle drop, or the, the, the man Ananias drops down dead right in front of the apostle's feet. Now, a couple hours later, his wife walks in. The story goes that his wife walks in not knowing what has happened to him. They didn't have cell phones. They couldn't text back and forth at that time. She, like, no GPS to locate him, like, where's his dead body? You know, she, there was nothing to connect her to him except, you know, she hadn't seen him for a few hours. He went out for breakfast to turn some money in, and all of a sudden she hadn't seen him. And so now here she is in front of the apostles, and the apostles ask her, was this the amount of money that you sold the property for? And Sapphira, his wife, lies as well. And the scripture says that she falls down, dead, immediately, right there. I mean, could you imagine if you go to church and offering time happens and the buckets pass and people just start dropping down dead in front of you? And then the Bible just kind of states the obvious in Acts chapter 5, verse number 11. Let me read it to you. It says, And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. It's like, no, duh. I mean, people are dropping dead at offering time. There's going to be some fear going on there. Now, here's my experience, okay? I have never seen anybody drop dead at offering time or because of greed. Not saying it can't happen. Not saying it's never happened since this time. I'm just saying my experience has not been that. But what I have seen is the work of God killed in a person's life because of greed. In fact, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen those moments where God gives me opportunity to make a difference in somebody else's life, and because of my greed, I miss it. In fact, last weekend, after I just had this experience at Panera and been reminded of how God uses generosity to bless and to make a difference, on Sunday night, I went out for Froyo with my wife and kids. And we're there going out for Froyo, and a guy stands in line behind me, and he's all tatted up, and he's got his teenage son and his wife there. And I just got this impression, which I think was from God, that I should buy his frozen yogurt. And immediately I was like, oh, that's a good idea. I should buy him some frozen yogurt. And then I started thinking about all the reasons why I shouldn't buy him some frozen yogurt. I'm like, he might beat me up. He might say to me, why do you think I need money to buy yogurt? I can buy my own yogurt. He might kind of think I'm a weirdo or a nutcase and say, who's this freak trying to buy my yogurt? And then I started thinking to myself, if I buy this guy yogurt, I'm going to get to the end of the month and I'm not going to have any money to buy more yogurt for my kids. And I'm going through all these reasons why I shouldn't be generous in my, in my heart and in my mind. I'm excusing the greed. And so, sad to say, I missed an opportunity. I walked away. And later on, several days later, I connected the dots and I remembered the story on Saturday with the lady and her generosity and I remembered how greedy I had been and in that moment, how I had completely missed an opportunity to make a difference, to be a part of God's extension of his love here to planet Earth. See, generosity 
catalyzes the work of God in and through our lives, but greed caps it. It becomes a lid. It prevents our lives from having the kind of impact that God desires for us to have. And whenever we're given that moment, that opportunity to be generous with other people or to be generous with causes, we have reasons why we shouldn't be generous. We all go through the thoughts in our minds. We have bills to pay. The rent keeps coming. The credit card payments are there. We got to feed our kids. We got to pay the student loans off. And the, the excuses keep coming, at least they do for me, of all the reasons why I shouldn't be generous. And in the remainder of the time that we have together, I want to talk about we said that boldness is behavior born out of belief. What is the belief that would cause someone to be as generous as these early followers of Christ would? In fact, we're going to go and look at a story found in John chapter 6. And it's a story of how God provides for a large group of people. The, the Bible says that there were at least 5,000 men in this story, which means that there might have been as many as 10,000 people if you include women and children. And we pick up the story in verse number 5. Scripture says, when Jesus looked up, and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for all of these people to eat? There's no In-N-Out. There's no Chick-fil-A. There's no McDonald's. There's nowhere for them to buy food. Jesus says, how are we going to feed these thousands upon thousands of people? And then the verse number six says this. He asked this. I love the insight into Jesus' understanding of the circumstance. And it says, he asked this. Only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. See, oftentimes God will test us, and he already knows how he's going to provide, how he's going to take care of us, how he's going to make it all work out. But he does it just to see if we will trust him. And then it says in verse number 7, Philip answered him, Eight months of wages would not buy enough bread for each one of these people to have one bite. I mean, if we pulled our resources together, it would take eight months of working hard in order to feed these thousands upon thousands of people. And then Jesus said, or the verse number eight said, excuse me, another one of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here is one boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? It's the same question I ask, you ask, we ask with the stuff that's in our hand. How far can this amount of money go to provide for all of the needs that I have? It can, it's not going to make it happen. These few loaves, these couple of fish, they're, they're not going to feed 5,000, 10,000 people. And then Jesus said in verse number 10, have everyone sit down. I'm about to lay down a miracle. Everybody needs to witness this. And he says this. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the exact same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples this. Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So that they gathered them, filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I remember when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I went to this church with my parents. I think like a family member was getting married. And it was a whacked out church. Like the kind of church where the pastor would start preaching the Bible and he'd say stuff and you're like, that's not what the Bible says. What are you smoking, man? Come on. 
get your thoughts straight. So I'm 12 years old at this time, and the pastor is preaching on this passage of Scripture. This is a total deviation, but ADD moment. The pastor is preaching on this passage of Scripture, and he gets to the point where Jesus does the miracles, and he says, the real miracle of the story is that Jesus taught everybody to share with each other. They were all hiding the food in their coats, and then when they saw Jesus with the food, they all gave their food, and everybody ate. That was the real miracle of the story. And I remember being 12 years old, and I got in the car, and I said, Dad, that's a bunch of crap. The real miracle was that Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 10,000 people. That's the miracle, that he could take a little schoolboy's lunch that his mom packed for him, intended to feed him, and feed a, a myriad of people because of his power and his capacity. That's the miracle. Now, here's the mindset that we struggle with. When it comes to greed and fear, we focus on the division of what's in our hands. You know that question? How far will five loaves of bread and two fish go among so many? If I have to start dividing it and throw one piece to you and throw one piece over here and one piece there, how far can that go? And fear and greed will cause us to focus on the, the division of what is in our hands. But there's a different mindset that leads to bold generosity. The mindset of bold generosity focuses on the multiplication of what I place in God's hands. Five loaves of bread and two fish can become enough that almost 10,000 people can have their fill and there's enough for a bunch of basketfuls left over at the end. That's what happens when the little I place in God's hand is multiplied. My little becomes much when it's in his hands. And the story was not about the little schoolboy getting lunch that day because he gave Jesus his lunch. He got another lunch. The real story was what the boy put in the hands of Jesus that blessed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. That's the miracle. That God is a God who's able to take little and make it much. He's a God who's able to provide for every need that you and I have. He's a faithful God. He's a God who is abundant in his capacity, in his power, and in his glory. And the mindset shift for us is to move from focusing on the little that's on in my hands and put it in the hands of God and let him multiply it for the extension of his kingdom, his church, and the blessing of many people. Friends, this is the story of South Bay Church. This is why we are where we are today. Uh, three and a half years after our church launched with six people moving across the country with a dream and a vision to start a church to reach people who are far from God doesn't grow this quickly without some supernatural movement of God making it happen. But all along the way have been people that were willing to step up and put what was in their hands in God's hands. In fact, I remember back in the fall of 2010, we were growing in an elementary school. We kept adding services, and we realized that at our rate of growth, our church was going to outgrow the facility that we were in over the next year. And we had what we called the forward campaign. And we challenged people to give generously. It was so successful that President Obama decided that he would make his presidential campaign in 2012. And in November, that was really funny, by the way, for those of you who didn't, did not laugh on that one. And in November of 2012, 125 families, when our church was about 400 people, stepped up and gave generously 
providing close to $750,000 over three years so that we could renovate and move into this place. And literally dozens, if not hundreds of lives are being changed every single week because of the generosity, the correlation of their relinquishing control and placing it in God's hands. Two more quick stories, and then we'll get real practical as we conclude. Uh, I think about another time where our uh, group of techies would get together, people who have uh, skills in coding and design and graphics, and they started looking at our website, and they said, hey, this website is outdated. Let us put together something that is a little bit more relevant and, and on target for our culture. So this group of, of people got together and literally spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours creating a new website for South Bay. Last week in our lobby, one of our staff members had a conversation with a family that said, I went to the website for South Bay Church and I thought if a church will go this far to connect with me to create a website that is relevant to my life, I'm going to go and check that church out. She came and now her life is being changed. I think about another group of guys, also a part of that tech team, that when we were moving into the building said, hey, this, this facility needs to have a state-of-the-art system with Wi-Fi. And so they went and they looked and they're like, okay, we need a router every 10 feet so much that you can upload people to the moon from this building. And one guy on the team said, hey, I'll provide the money to make it happen. Another guy said, I'll install all of it. And now something that might have cost over $10,000 for us to do, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week, there will be people in here entering info into database, following up with our first-time guests, all through a Wi-Fi system that a few volunteers said, I'm going to relinquish control of my life so that God can use it and many people can be blessed through it. See, there is so much ministry and work that God will do through us if we will relinquish and surrender control of our lives back to him. There's a direct correlation between the generosity in my heart and the fruitfulness of my life. Now, the question is, how does this happen? What does it look like? I think about it like a ladder. I heard this story one time, that there are different levels of generosity. The first level of generosity is what we will call the ground level. It's that level where I don't give anything back. I'm greedy all the time. It's all about me, all about my goals and my interests. It is what you would call a non-giver. And then we step onto the ladder and we go up to this next level, which we would call the basic level. And this is when I start initially giving. Maybe it's a predetermined set percentage of my income. Maybe it's like I give God a tip every 20, 20 bucks every Sunday if the sermon's good. And if the pastor preaches well, it's a tip Sunday. And maybe it's a certain amount of money that we set in our hearts. But we start giving at a basic level. And this is moving in the right direction of God's plan for our lives. But there's this next step that God wants us to take that we will call the threshold level. It's the proportional gift of the first tenth of my income back to God. In fact, way before the law in the Old Testament, God established this concept of the tithe, that I would give the first fruit of all that comes into me back to Him as a way of trusting Him with my resources to say, God, all I have is yours. I'm going to trust that you can make that 90% go much further if it's in your hands and I place the first 10% before you. Now, here's what happened. In Jesus' day and age, and in our day and age, this happened. People started to feel like if they just wrote a check, I guess they didn't have checks back then, but they started to feel like if I just give one-tenth away or a certain percentage of my income back to God, then I've done my religious duty. And their heart checks out of it, not realizing that what God is after is not our money. He's after our hearts. And so God is on this journey with us through generosity to continue to take us to new levels of trusting in Him. 
And for my wife Stacy and I, what that has meant over the course of our marriage, almost 10 years, each year, our percentage and our amount of money of trusting him with our resources has continued to grow. And this fourth level that we're going to talk about is what we call the peak level. And just to freak some of you guys out, I'll climb all the way up here. Just kidding, I'll stop. <laughs> but that's the sacrificial level where I allow God to take me above and beyond where I am to continue to grow in my trust and faith for him. Can I be honest with you? It, it would not require much faith for me to be at a threshold level right now. In fact, it would be a step backwards. It would be going in the wrong direction. And what God has done in our journey is to continue to increase our faith in him. And watch what happens. Let's look at this next diagram. See, bold generosity causes us to move up the ladder, but fear and greed causes us to move down the ladder, to atrophy, to go backwards in our journey spiritually. And what God is wanting is for us today to take a step up, to trust him. And when I'm on this ladder and I look out, and I realize what God has done with what we've entrusted to him in our lives. I look at how God has used our resources and our family to be able to fund and to feed kids in Ethiopia and to adopt a child and bring them into our home and to, to fight human trafficking and to be a part of starting churches in places like China and to be a part of personally starting two churches and to look at how God has taken what I've given to him and multiply it. It's one of the greatest joys in my life. And so today, I'm going to offer you a very specific challenge. I'm going to offer you something we did a while back at the beginning of this year, and we're going to do it again, a challenge over the next 90 days to trust God at a new level of generosity, to take one step up this ladder to say, God, I'm going to relinquish control of my life and my resources to you to a greater degree and watch the faithfulness of God and his provision and his multiplication of what we place in, our, in his hands. When you walked in today, you received a program, and inside that program is a connection card that I want to invite every person to go ahead and pull out right now. And on the back of the connection card, there is a place where you can indicate a 90-day, I'm taking the 90-day generosity challenge. But before you do that, let me just say this. I know that whenever a church starts talking about money, it gets funny. I know that it can seem so self-serving for a church to address this issue of generosity. But what I want to say to you guys, if you look at my eyes right now, our church is not struggling financially. In fact, this year, we've grown faster than we anticipated, and our generosity, the generosity of our people has been more than we've expected, so much that at the end of the first half of the year, we redid our budget because God's bringing in more than we, than we expected or anticipated. We're, we're not preaching on generosity because we want something from you. We're preaching on generosity because it's about what we want for you. I don't want you and I to get to the end of our lives and look back and think there were all these things that God wanted to do through us, but because of our greed, it was a cap that killed his work through us. And so my question is, will you join our church over the next 90 days to trust God at a new level with your resources and watch what he will do? You know, one lady... And this is not a promise. This is just a story of what happened this morning. One lady who struggles financially decided she was going to be bold in our first service today, and she cleared out her bank account. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's anybody's, like, obedient step today. I'm just saying it's what she did. And she came to me after our first service, and she said, you know, I walked out of that first service. I cleared my bank account so that I could be generous. It was like 
a big step for her. And she said, I walked out into the grass in front of the building and somebody walked up and gave me over two times as much money as I'd just given away. And then I, I was like blown away. And she said, and now I'm going back to give some more of it back. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe God is using that so you can buy groceries. And, you know, I'm like trying to talk her out of it. And she's like, nope. And she just walks right past me. And it's not about money. It's about a heart condition of watching what God can do when we trust him. Now, here's what we're going to do as a church. Because I, I felt like, man, let me, let me say one more thing on this. If you, if you feel like for us to talk about money that our motivation is impure and we're doing this to serve our own interest, I want to challenge you to give it to some other church or some other cause or some other ministry. Don't give it back to South Bay. Take it somewhere else. Give it to somebody else. And, and let that be your act of generosity before God. But don't miss the opportunity to trust him with this challenge. Now, here's what we're going to do, okay? I, I sense God so clearly leading us to do this challenge, but I felt like we needed to take a step as a church to be bold as well. And so on the screen behind me, there's going to be a picture of Adam and Kira Smallcomb who are starting a church over in Palo Alto called C3 Silicon Valley. And they just launched their church on August 26th. They had over 200 people in attendance at their first worship experience. And God is doing great things through this couple and their willingness to move. They moved from Australia to the United States to start a church for people who are far from God. And I was meeting with him a couple of weeks ago and he said, you know, we hit this point of decision. And we were thinking about moving back to Australia because we didn't have the resources to move forward as a church. But we decided we're going to be all in. We're going to. We're going to just keep pushing forward and trust that God's going to provide. And it was like that moment God was saying, I want you to do something bold for these guys. And so here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to call Adam and we're going to say, Adam, we have $10,000 that we want to give to you to invest in your church to help you guys get started. The people of South Bay were generous and believe in what you're doing enough to give generously and to sacrifice in order for us to make a difference, to see God's love extend through you into Palo Alto and to make a huge impact on that community. So we're boldly going to do this regardless of what happens today with our giving $10,000, not 10%, $10,000, the first $10,000 of our offering today is going to go. And this is like 35% of our weekly offering as a church. And we're just trusting God somehow he's going to provide and he's going to take care of us as a church as we put what we have in his hands. And here's the challenge for you today. The challenge for you, for me, and for all of us is, number one, to jump into this 90-day generosity challenge to say, God, I'm all in, I'm yours, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to put what's in my hands in your hands and take one step up this ladder. And the second challenge is today as we kick off the 90-day challenge to give above and beyond our regular giving in order for us as a church to be able to provide the resources to help this new church and give them $10,000 and write them a check tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon so they can come and get it. And I'm telling you guys, 10000 bucks to a new church is a lot, a lot of money. Anytime any church would call us and say, hey, we want to invest $10,000, that'll make your day, your week, your month. So I'm excited to see what God is going to do through our generosity, through our saying, God, we're yours. Everything we have is yours. I'm not going to live with greed and fear anymore. I'm going to trust that you can take the little that I place in your hands and you can multiply it to do great things in your kingdom. Let's pray. God, thank you today. Thank you that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. Today, we believe that you are capable, that you're powerful, that you're mighty, that there's no limit to your provision. We cannot give you. You gave your son. You gave your life. You were crucified and resurrected from the dead 
and you've given us our salvation, we can never outgive you. And today we want to be bold in our generosity with you. We want to trust you to take us and to multiply your kingdom. We believe that greater things are ahead for this church. That you want to take us and establish us from a thousand people. That one day there would be literally hundreds of churches all over the Bay Area. That there wouldn't be any place in the Bay Area that there's five minutes away from any individual that they couldn't find a vibrant community of faith, that there would be dozens of South Bay campuses spread across the valley in the Bay Area, that there would literally be tens and hundreds of thousands of people whose lives are are changed and transformed by your love, and it would all be connected back to a group of a thousand people at South Bay that on this day, September 9th, 2012, said we're going to be bold with our generosity and trust you to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to your power that's at work within us. And all of God's people said, amen.